The disciples want to learn how to pray. Jesus says, listen, uh, you are going to uh, not pray religiously. And I love that. He says, don't pray religiously. Praying religiously means you're praying for other people. And I mentioned to us a couple weeks ago, I said, we get anxious when we pray religiously. How many people hate praying in front of other people? Yes, that's Jesus' point. Don't pray religiously for other people. Then he says, don't pray superstitiously. Right? And that was a big one for me especially because I said, God for me sometimes is like I, this lamp that I rub and then God comes out and God says, what do you need? And I go, I need a job or I need my kid not to have strep throat or you know, I need a parking spot, whatever it might be, right? And, and when God doesn't answer that prayer, we get a little disillusioned. I said, yeah, that's what happens when we treat God like a genie. Uh, we get like, oh man, like God's, God's really not there. I don't believe in God anymore. Forget this whole thing. And Jesus says, don't pray superstitiously. That's praying superstitiously. He says, when you do pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. And so if you were here two weeks ago, I said, God is not, or Jesus is not uh, evoking gender or saying that God is a man. Jesus is saying or that God is um, security, that God is uh, evoking a sense of intimacy. So when he says, our Father in heaven, he's not saying, uh, you have to listen to this man. He's saying, this is the father from the prodigal son story who comes running after us, who loves us, who, who puts a robe around us, right? And so I said, what is the thing that makes us feel secure like that? If it's father, great. If it's mother, great. If whatever it is, we want to invoke, invoke that security. Uh, hallowed be your name. And I talked about multiverses and atoms. Y'all remember this when I did that? And I talked about if there's a God who's that big, then there's a God who can actually know about us and about our lives, which is why I still pray for healing. So I still pray um, that God would, 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 um, would work in my life. Right? That still happens. And then I said this. I said, I said um, we said, um, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I said this, which I thought was going to be really unpopular. But y'all like, came up to me and were like, that's it. It's perfect. And I said to everybody, when we pray that prayer, we're praying that heaven um, is not the end game. We're praying that we bring heaven down to earth. Right? That's what we end up praying. And I thought that was going to like mess with y'all. And y'all were like, no, that's what I believed the whole time. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not surprising anybody. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, and that's an amazing thing. So when we think about heaven here on earth, when God wants justice, we want justice. So we fight for justice. When God wants equity for people, we want equity for people. That's what heaven looks like. So we fight for equity. When there's any kind of marginalization, we want to see it end. And people will say, doesn't that feel political? And I go, well, these are the politics of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. We're called to bring God's kingdom. Right? That's what we're called to do. So that's where we left off. And so I'm going to get us started on part two. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. If you have been at our church for the past two or three years, you have heard me talk ad nauseum about what the Roman Empire did to early Christians. And one of the biggest things they did, and I've talked about this before, is that you would be a farmer and you'd be living outside of Jerusalem and you would grow your wheat for an entire year and you would bring your wheat to Jerusalem to sell and that money would be your income for the entire year. And when you brought that wheat to sell in Jerusalem, uh, what would happen was Caesar right off the bat would take 40 to 50% of it. It was gone. Okay. After that, there was a king, and that king's name was Herod. He was the area king. He would take another 15 to 20% of it. It was gone. And then before you even made it into the walls, you had to go through a tax collector, and the tax collectors were very crooked people, and so they wanted another 10 to 15% of your wheat, and then it was gone. So before you could even sell your wheat, before you could even make any money that you would live on for the rest of the year, you already lost 75 to 80% of your income. Already. 
Like right off the bat. That's what the Roman Empire did to people. And so when people prayed, give us this day our daily bread, they were legitimately praying, I don't have anything. I'm going to wake up and I don't know if I get to eat today because I only made 20% of what I was supposed to make for an entire year. That's a real prayer. That is no joke. My guess is that most of us in this room have never felt that. That's my guess. Some of us have maybe. I think the closest that we get to that is like, I really want to order poke on Seamless, but I can. I got to save some money. So instead, I'm going to eat a can of tuna. Oh my gosh, I'm so good. Right? Like that's what we do. And that's what I, that's what I do. That's what I do. Um, and I think like, that's the closest we get to feeling like that pinch sometimes. Right? Um, and so how do we pray this prayer today? It's a good question because I, I feel like, you know, if, if we're not worried about where our next meal is coming from, how do we pray this prayer today? And for me, this prayer feels a lot like control, like asking God, God, help me to give up control. Because here's, here's what does happen to me, and maybe you would identify. What happens to me is the second things get a little bit tough. The second we have less money, something happens, a new expense pops up, what I want to do is I want to take control of the situation in such a way that, that I, I now, it's all about me. And it's what I focus on my family. I want to make sure everybody is okay here on my end. And so where I was maybe giving my resources, my time, my money to other things, I stop that because it's about me and I got to make sure I'm good. And, and having enough is a good thing. We want to make sure we are saving. But when the focus becomes all about how can we control our lives in this situation, what happens is God doesn't get any of that. What happens is we don't practice this thing where we go, God, I don't have control over this situation, and God, I'm, I'm going to need your help, and I'm just going to give this to you. Every day, people would wake up and go, God, I don't have control over whether I'm going to eat today, and I'm going to give that to you. That's big. God, I don't have control over the way this works, but I still want to be cognizant of what you're calling me to do. And so when I say think about this prayer for 2018, I want to say, give me today the ability to let go of control. That's how I want to pray it. How can I let go of control? And when we do that, all of a sudden our minds are open, our eyes are open to other areas, to other places of need, to other people in need. Uh, there's this great story by Mother Teresa, and she tells it in the first person. I want to read it for you because I think it's really important. And she says this. She says, I will never forget the night an old gentleman came to our house and said that there were uh, a family with eight children, and they had not eaten. And could we do something for them? So I took some rice, and I went there. And the mother took the rice from my hands, and she divided it in two and went out. And I could see the faces of the children shining with hunger. And when she came back, I asked her where she had gone, and she gave me a very simple answer. She said, they are hungry also. And they were the family next door. And she knew they were hungry, and I was surprised that she gave. Or I wasn't surprised that she gave, but I was surprised that she knew. I had not the courage to ask her how long her family hadn't eaten, but I'm sure it must have been a long time. And yet she knew in her suffering, in her terrible bodily suffering, she knew the next door neighbors were hungry also. I think that's the mindset of this prayer. God, when I let go of control, all of a sudden I have eyes to see what's happening around me. All of a sudden I have eyes to see that, that those people, you know, I don't need to hoard and I don't need to be here with myself, but now I see that those people are in need. I see that this person's in need. I see that this family needs help. It opens up our eyes. There's about 50 or 60 people who are giving to a potluck that we're having right after this service. It's pretty amazing. We should thank those 50 or 60 people at some point. Thank you for doing that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. How many of us are aware that 50 or 60 people brought stuff? 
How many of us are paying attention to, to who will be in need today? How many of us are going, yeah, I know so-and-so, they're in a really tough spot. I'm going to make sure that I can help them today. How many of us are doing that? And how many of us are going, am I taken care of? Are my needs met? Will I have food? It's a shift. Lord, help me to let go of control, because when I let go of control, I'm able to see others. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ooh. Uh, Rich Velotas, who's a pastor in Queens, he says, whenever I preach on this part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, um, I feel like I should put a sign out in the front that says, enter at your own risk. Because it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. Uh, there's two types of sin here. One's trespasses. Uh, trespasses is your egregious sins. You're lying. You're stealing. Those types of things. Things you do to hurt other people. Forgiving your debts is a different kind of sin. I preached on it this summer. Debt means that you are putting the law above humanity. Okay, that's what the sin of debt looks like. So you remember uh, this summer when I talked about the yeah buts? Like that person, they need help. Yeah, but they're illegal. Right? That person, uh, you know, we should invite them into this. Yeah, but they're addicts. They did this thing. Right? We, 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 we put qualifiers on people, and that's the sin of debt by putting law over humanity. And here's what I said then, and I'll say it again now. Every single time that we decide that law that we read in Scripture or law that we, that we interpret through Scripture, anytime that law comes first over humanity, it is high time for us to reassess our Christianity. It's high time for us to, set, to reassess the way that we follow Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ wants flourishing before law every single time. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with our trespasses? We confess. We confess Remember a couple weeks ago, I said that with the rise of selfies came a rise of narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, a few of us in here have it, probably. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to confess. But you know, why, why wouldn't we want to confess? Well, we don't want to confess because confession means that we have to admit some sort of guilt. We have to admit that something didn't go our way, and it can't be, it can't be me. I, I'm, I'm too good for that. So what we do is instead of confessing when we've fallen short and we've put the law before humanity, instead of confessing when we've trespassed against somebody else, what we do is we say, they must have done something to deserve that. They must have done something. They put me in a place where I had to do this thing. Right? They put me in a place where I had to, to break this law. They put me in a place where I made this bad decision. They did it to me. That's what we do. We reverse it. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you are going to live a mature life, if we are going to be the light, we confess that first and foremost, this is about us and about the places where we've fallen short, about the places where we have been broken. Uh, when I pray this, and I've been practicing praying this for three or four weeks, <laughs> I pray like, Lord, uh, you know, forgive me for, for my, my trespasses. And I always invariably pull out my phone and start texting people. And I'm like, super sorry I did that to you last week. <laughs> like, like, my fault about not seeing you. Or, you know, I start like, you know, I, I'm genuinely like, I, I want to take that weight from people. And frankly, I want to take that weight from myself. It frees me up again. Confession. We confess that we don't have it together, that we're broken, that we've hurt others, that we've put the law before others. And in confessing, we give ourselves space for others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This deserves its own sermon, and it's going to get its own sermon. But I want to talk about it a little bit today. I want to talk about a friend of mine who I met with a few weeks ago. And this friend uh, used to work at a church, uh, and she came to them, and she said, listen, uh, um, you know, slowly but surely, I'm changing, I'm changing my gender identity. And the church said, uh, unceremoniously, good, you can go. 
you can leave. There's not a place for you here. And it didn't matter that this person was, was in charge of the youth. It didn't matter this, this person led ministry teams that helped trafficked women. None of that mattered. But because this person was changing their identity, they were asked to leave. So I meet with this person, and they're incredible. And I have this wonderful conversation, and they say, you know what, when I think about that old church, and when I think about the, the, the people and the staff, and when I think about even that God that they worship, my blood boils. My blood boils. And that's righteous. You feel that? My blood boils. I feel it. I think sometimes we're told if we're going to be the light of Christ, we can't be angry. I think that's false. I think there is a righteous anger. There should be a righteous anger. Righteous anger leads us to justice. It is a good thing. It's a good thing to be in pain. It's not a bad thing. That is okay. And I can't imagine how some of us here might have been marginalized, hurt because of our ethnicity, because of our orientation, because of our gender identity, or whatever else, and the pain that we must feel or must go through. That's an okay pain. That's righteous. That anger is okay. But there's this saying, and the saying goes like this. Sometimes we drink the poison and hope the other person dies. That same friend uh, was at church, and they came up to me, and they said something that was super poignant and actually has helped me in the past three or four weeks. They said, you know what? I've been praying a really simple prayer. Uh, And the really simple prayer I've been praying is this. Lord, give me the courage to love like you. Give me the courage to love like you. I think about my friend who's been hurt, who has every right to be upset, and then my friend prays this prayer, give me the courage to love like you. And that doesn't mean we just wash it all away. It doesn't mean we say, oh, you've hurt me. <laughs> no big deal. It doesn't mean we do that. It means we take steps towards recognizing that the person and the enemies that have hurt us are just as loved by God as we are. It's God on the, Jesus on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. He's being mocked. He's being spit at. He's being beaten, and he's hanging there, and he's about to die, and he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the courage. That's the courage to love like Jesus, to, be, to see our enemies and to say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I say this so often, all the time, and I'll say it again and again and again and again until we get it. Every time we draw a line in the sand, every time we draw a line and say, there's my enemy on the other side, well, there's Jesus standing on the other side with our enemies. When we forgive, we're not erasing it. We're not saying, oh, it's all okay. It's a process. It's a journey. But we're saying, Lord, give us the courage to love like you. Give us the courage to know that you are on the other side with my enemies. And slowly but surely, it allows for a healing process to begin. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The theologian Dale Bruner, he says, says, this is like a really poorly translated passage. He said, you know, what the word is, it's it's um, it's not not lead us into temptation. It should be, Lord, snatch us away from temptation. That's what the word should be, snatch us away. How many people have ever dealt with a toddler? (laughs) Some of us, right? Yeah. um, (laughs) My wife was eight and a half months pregnant. We had a 16-month-old kid already. We were at an outdoor wedding. It was 103 degrees, and there was a pool in the middle of the reception. And so my wife was like, I'm hot. I'm not getting up. My feet are already really swollen, so it's on you to follow our 16-month-old around. And you know, 16-month-olds, they're like little drunk creatures, right? That's what they are. Just running everywhere. They don't care. And I cannot begin to tell you the eight or nine times that I saw my daughter running towards the pool. And I was like, ah, pull her back. Nope. But she doesn't even understand that, right? And it's frustrating. And that's that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you know what? Pray, God, snatch me away from that trouble. 
that old hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody know that old hymn? That's true. There's some truth to that, right? And so that's what we're praying here. We're praying, God, we are prone to be a 16-month-old kid going towards a pool. Snatch us away from that. And here's the beauty of it. Um, if you've dealt with kids, and these are my kids, so I can only speak for myself, um, as annoying as it is and as difficult as it is, there's something also really delightful about it. Because while you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, you're learning and you're exploring and you're growing and, and you're putting yourself in situations that are going to help you later on, even if you're being an idiot. Like, it still works. And I delight in it. So when I'm chasing around my 16-month-old that time, there's a sense I'm delighting in it. Like, this kid is just exploring all of it, and I love it. And that's how God sees us. God's going, I see you. You're running around. You're prone to wonder. I feel it. Don't worry. I'm going to snatch you up. I'm pulling you out of it. I delight in you. I delight in your weakness. That's a big deal. I delight in your weakness. Because strength is, it's all about strength. What do we teach people right away? Show us your muscles. Get little kids pointing to their elbows. Show me your muscle. (laughs) Weakness, well, we want people to be strong. Job interviews, what's your weakness? Well, I steal other people's lunches. Right, like, (laughs) no, no. We're not not ever going to say that, right? We're just not ever going to say that. We don't have any weaknesses, right? God says, not only, do you, uh, not, not only are, are you weak, um, but I don't even need you to be strong. I'm going to snatch you away from that temptation. I'm going to snatch you away from that evil. I'm going to keep you safe. And this is what, um, this is what somebody said, and unfortunately, I, I forgot, I don't have the, the quote, but this was a great quote that I saw. It says, being delivered from evil and the evil one, the powers and principalities, is not asking God for more strength so we know we can do it on our own. It's recognizing that we're weak and knowing God still delights in us regardless. I love that. We're not called to do this on our own. We're weak and God delights in us regardless. Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Snatch us out of it. Delight in us like we do delight in our little kids running around. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know that was added on later? About 200 years after the fact, that was added on. It started, the, um, the, the first church, uh, the first and second century church, they started saying it uh, during a time of persecution, during a time where, where many of these Christ followers were being killed, they were being hurt. Um, yeah, it was a bad time. And they started praying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And what did that mean? It was just a sign of hope. It was, we have hope that what is happening right now gets better. We have hope that the hurt that we feel right now gets reconciled. We have hope that the brokenness that we feel is made whole. We have hope in that. There is hope in this thing. And at the end of the day, church, we are six years old. And the one thing I am most proud of, more than anything else, is from day one, we have offered up that hope to one another. We've offered up that hope. You are not in a bad place. You are not far from God. You are not broken. There is hope. There is a God who loves you no matter what, that sees you as God's child, and there's nothing you could do to run from that, to get away from that. You can't. We're not separated from God. That's the beauty. 
That's the beauty of the message. That's the beauty of, of being the light. Too often when people say, well, you're the light, we say, yeah, God loves you so long as you, well, God's gonna love you, but you just gotta make sure you, well, God's gonna love you, but you gotta get strong. And this prayer tells us otherwise. This prayer tells us as we are today, right now, what we've done in the past, what we do today, what we'll do in the future, it does not matter. We are a child of God and that is it. And that is the good news through Jesus Christ. So as we go out today, there's two things I want you to do. Number one, go out and party at Atlantic and it could be the light. Go out and have a good time. Go buy your kids stuff they don't need. (laughs) Have a few drinks. Do whatever it is you're going to do. Do those things. Enjoy it. Celebrate the fact that you are loved. And then secondly, I want to challenge all of us for the next couple weeks to pray the Lord's Prayer daily. Let's pray it daily just remembering each part of it. In fact, I want to end today's service. The best way we can end six years right now is to celebrate and to pray this prayer together. Will you pray it with me? So you can close your eyes and let's go through it line by line. Let's really get into it. Let's celebrate this prayer and what we're given. Our Father in heaven, what's that intimate image that comes to mind? Is it a father, a father figure? Is it a mother? What brings you that peace, intimacy, love? That's what God wants for you. Focus on that. You are loved, you are secure. There's nothing that separates you from that. Hallowed be your name. How wide and how high is this God of ours? Maybe we should let go of control because this God is so big, so infinite and unimaginable that maybe this God has things under control. We can let go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you called to do? How are you called to bring God's kingdom? What are you hearing, feeling, and thinking? What are your your passions? What's your talents? What's your job? What's your resources? How are we going to bring this kingdom? How are we going to give God what God wants? Give us this day our daily bread. Are we sensitive to those around us who don't have enough? Are we so focused on our own selves that we're unable to contribute to security for all? Can we ask God for help when we feel like we're, we're unable to give up that control and ask God to give us eyes to see others? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lord, we confess that we do stuff that gets in the way of the flourishing of others. And we confess that we put ourselves first at the expense of others. We confess that we put the law in front of others. Lord, for those that do the same to us, Give us the courage and the strength to love like you. Deliver us from evil. Snatch us up, God. The struggle's real. We're wandering. Snatch us up, God. And Lord, thank you for delighting in our weakness. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.